Finn J.D. John, FJ at OffbeatOregon.com, and this is the Daily Offbeat Oregon History Podcast. Today, for your listening pleasure, we have an archive show, first published as a newspaper column and podcast episode sometime in the last 10 years. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy it. This story was first published on May 1st of 2021 under the headline, Citizens Hired World Champion to Humiliate Town Bully. Here we go. All through the summer of 1973, there was one song on the radio everywhere that you just could not get away from. That's right, Jim Croce's smash hit, Bad, Bad Leroy Brown. By the way, that was the uh, sample that's offered for this particular song. If you go to purchase it on Amazon Music, it costs $1.29 for the track. But back to our story. Come to think of it, it's been very difficult to get away from that song ever since Croce wrote it. Uh, you probably are humming it to yourself right now, especially after I hit you with the, with the audio sample. Bad, bad Leroy Brown, baddest man in the whole damn town. The little Cascade Foothills town of Boring once had its own bad, bad Leroy Brown, although when the song came out, very few people alive were old enough to remember him. His name was Free Coldwell, or at least that's what he called himself. Like Leroy Brown, he was a proud, strutting, tough guy who got a humiliating comeuppance. But his downfall didn't come from making a pass at the wife of a jealous man in a boring nightclub or bar. No, Free Coldwell was taken down by the citizens of Boring, who basically played an elaborate practical joke on him, with the help of a professional prizefighter. Free Coldwell blew into Boring sometime in late 1904, probably to work at one of the local sawmills. To judge from descriptions in newspaper stories, he was a bit like Bluto from the old Popeye cartoons, a big, burly man with massive, muscular arms and a hot temper. Unlike Bluto, though, Coldwell had bright red hair, and he claimed that he was, or had been, a professional prizefighter. He quickly made a name for himself as a barroom brawler. And then, according to an article in the Sunday Oregonian, having successfully, and this is a direct quote, walloped into dreamland all the other aspirants to the title of baddest man in town, he proceeded to make an absolute past of himself. He swaggered around like, well, like bad, bad Leroy Brown on the south side of Chicago. If there'd been such a thing as a custom continental or an El Dorado in 1905, he would have had one, if he could afford one. Anyway, like most little timber and farming towns in pre-war Oregon, Boring had its share of tavern tough guys. But the vast majority of Boring residents were regular folks just trying to do their jobs and raise their families. 
Getting constantly lorded over by some cocky, sorrel-topped gorilla was humiliating and frustrating, and something had to be done. Well, that's when someone opened a copy of the Portland Morning Oregonian and learned that Tommy Burns was in town. Tommy Burns was a professional prizefighter from Canada, and if you were into boxing in 1905, you definitely knew his name. He was the up-and-coming heavyweight fighter, even though at 5 feet 7 and 175 pounds, he was technically a light heavyweight boxer. His nickname was the Little Giant of Hanover. He wasn't the world champion yet, but two years later he would be, and he'd hang on to the title, defending it against all comers for two full years. Burns had a match coming up with Jack Twin Sullivan and was doing some training for it in a local Portland gym. Then it occurred to some of the citizens of Boring that perhaps, just perhaps, Tommy Burns could be induced to come to their town for a, a little extracurricular boxing match and to teach the town bully some humility. And so a delegation from Boring hopped on the interurban train for the one-hour journey to Portland to make the pitch. They didn't have much of a purse to offer. After they'd passed the kitty around, there was only $4.90 in it, which was worth about 120 bucks in 2021 currency. But the opportunity to help the townspeople dispense some poetic justice to a swaggering small-town bully must have appealed to Tommy. He agreed. He said he'd come to Boring and take on free Coldwell. According to the Sunday Oregonian's subsequent article about the fight, the good people of Boring placed only one restriction on Burns. He was not to risk killing Caldwell in the fight. Funerals, after all, are expensive. Now, Tommy Burns' real name was Noah Brusso, so that was the name he used when he came to Boring. The townsfolk staging the show were worried that if Free Coldwell learned who he was battling with, he'd figure out a way to back out, and they might have been right. In any case, Coldwell took the bait in one gulp. He took one look at Noah Brusso, who was considerably shorter and a good 40 pounds lighter than he, and, as the Oregonian put it, fell for it as easy as did Farmer Vance when he was gold-bricked out of $10,000. Following a brief, truculent negotiation over who would cover the 75-cent venue rental fee, which he did not want deducted from the winner's pot, which he confidently expected to be receiving, Mr. Coldwell was eager and ready to go. A boxing ring was put together in the local opera house. The townspeople hired a professional boxing referee, Tommy Tracy, an almost-retired prize fighter, originally from Australia. On the big day... More than 100 Portlanders came out to see the show. It's not clear how many of them thought they were going to see a real fight and how many were in on the gag. Plenty of the residents of Boring knew. And it is possible that their success in keeping the secret from free Coldwell was because they were unusually discreet. Not that Coldwell was unusually gullible. But, as the late John Prine might have put it, Coldwell clearly had muscles in his head that had never been used. He never suspected a thing until well into the fight. In fact, until a box of dynamite exploded on the end of his nose in round four, but I'm getting ahead of my story. Let me back up and continue. Finally, it was showtime, and the gong rang, and the boring bruiser came charging out of his corner, and Brusso, obviously playing to the crowd, held back and let Coldwell get in a few punches and even went down a couple of times. The crowd roared. Those who were in on the gag roared with delight, and those who still thought this was a legit boxing match roared with astonishment. They could see pretty well that Coldwell was a terrible boxer. Was the great Tommy Burns losing his touch? No. No, he was not. 
At the end of the fourth round, Brousseau decided that it was time to spring the trap, and accordingly he put a hard straight right past Coldwell's guard and with proper professional snap, and it exploded on the end of Coldwell's nose and, as the boxing press of the day often put it, started the claret. And this appears to have been the moment when Coldwell realized he was in some serious trouble. The gong sounded, the round ended, and Coldwell got a little time to think about things while he dealt with his nosebleed. In light of subsequent events, there's certainly a decent chance that one of the thoughts that passed through his mind was the possibility that he might end the match, relatively pain-free, by faking a foul. Well, all too quickly, it was time for round five. Right away, Brusso clinched and then broke away with a body blow to Coldwell's midriff. It wasn't a hard hit, but Coldwell apparently wasn't expecting it and wasn't ready for it. At least, that's what the press said happened. There's a quote from the Oregonian. Just as soon as the red-headed piker could get his breath, he howled, it's no fair to hit a man in the stomach. The Oregonian reported, that's a foul. Coldwell jumped out of the ring to stop the fight while he pressed his suit. Nobody was impressed, least of all the referee. Tommy Tracy almost threw a fit, the Oregonian reported. Tracy told Colwell to shut up, and that if he wasn't back in the ring in 120 seconds flat, Brusso would be declared the winner. The clock was started, and the crowd waited with anticipation, author Bruce Haney writes in his new book, Eccentric Tales of Boring Oregon, a history press title, by the way. The townsfolk had put a lot of effort into this fight. They did not want Free Coldwell dead, but they did want him maimed. A bloody nose and a punch to the stomach did not live up to the beating they had plotted for him. But the clock ran out, and Free Coldwell did not get back in the ring. So Tracy raised Byrne's arm and declared him the victor. Well, it was pretty obvious to everyone what had happened. After figuring out how severely outclassed he was, Coldwell was trying to use this foul as a pretext for withdrawing from the field. They probably all assumed that he knew perfectly well that body blows were not fouls, and figured he was pretending ignorance because he'd become desperate for an excuse to get out of that ring. If that was the case, it sure didn't work very well. Unlike Bad Bad Leroy Brown, Free Coldwell did not look like a jigsaw puzzle with a couple of pieces gone after this fight, but his, his reputation around the taverns of Boring didn't look much different from that. Today and for many days to come, the good citizens of Boring will congratulate themselves, the Oregonian's reporter wrote. They have rid themselves of the town pest. Their only regret is that Coldwell did not get the beating they had mapped out for him. That regret was probably short-lived. The article about the fight appeared in the Sunday Oregonian the very next morning at the very top of the front page of the Sunday Oregonian under a giant headline reading, Just a Quitter, Boring's Town Terror Done by Prizefighter. Again, this is the front page of the biggest paper of the week in the biggest town in Oregon. I don't know where this guy went after humiliating himself to this degree, but it has to have been out of state, because he would have had a really hard time living this one down anywhere in the state of Oregon. Quote, when he gets a blow in the stomach, Free Coldwell screams no fair and quits for good, one of the sub-headlines added. Well, like I said, after that, there was just no way Free Coldwell could stay in town and face the people he'd been lording over for the previous few months. It's not clear how long he stayed in Boring after this humiliation, but it was probably a matter of hours. And as author Haney puts it, there are 
No references to pre-Coldwell harassing the town of Boring again. Key sources in this story, well, there were two. There was Eccentric Tales of Boring Oregon, which is a book by Bruce Haney published in 2021, just a couple of months ago by the History Press, which, by the way, has a bunch of other great stories about this ostensibly boring town. Um, And also an article in the Portland Sunday Oregonian, which author Haney's book sort of led me to, from 26 February 1905. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed it half as much as I did. (laughs) Perhaps you could tell. Anyway, this podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love. Check out our hub page at offbeatoregon.com to explore all the other things we do or to find the citations and visuals that go with today's show. If you haven't already, check out our Offbeat Oregon books. They're basically revised, updated, and re-researched collections of these columns and podcasts arranged by topic. And so far, we've done Heroes and Rascals of Old Oregon and Love, Sex, and Murder in Old Oregon. And I'm right now working on the third title, which is Bad Ideas and Horrible People of Old Oregon. You can find them in hardcover and softcover and ebook, and in the case of Heroes and Rascals, audiobook, wherever you get your reading materials or on Audible or Amazon. This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license. For details of that, see offbeatorgan.com cc. Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Ficara. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. Offbeat Oregon History episodes are uploaded every weekday morning at around 6 a.m., so it'll be a couple of days before you get your next fix. Until then, go out and fill up the rest of the day and the subsequent weekend with good stuff. Bye now. Bye now.